1: This is a more than just podcast production.
3: Welcome to podcast Season 6, Episode 14. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuhlein in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And Jaime Lopez, Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? It's going pretty good. I lost a hows last time. I just got going from you last time. <laughs> I don't know how that worked, but there you, you
0: couldn't go. have gone back to the previous 160 plus episodes and found
3: a how. Now that you say that, I probably <laughs> could have. <laughs> In fact, you know, we did we did discuss doing a super a, a what do you call it? A, what do you call it? supercut? I think oh, yeah, I mean. it was the supercut. We were going to do a supercut of Jaime saying, "How's it going?" So just. For those of you driving or transporting at home, I did go and grab, listen to the first like three or four episodes of either More Than Just Coat. He says it the same way every single time
0: so what you could do is just take one of them and loop and just repeat it yeah and be like here's all 500 times i may have said how's it going
3: yeah we'll get some we'll get scratch faster to do like a you know rap track underneath and how's it how's it going all
0: right i would yeah i i would definitely give you a follow on that one yeah, right, yeah cool.
3: definitely that. All righty. So we do have some fact check from last week. Like Jonathan mentioned, you couldn't, you couldn't. Quite, I know you've mentioned it today in the show and in the show notes, but yeah. the episode that Jonathan was talking about with uh, Christopher Pike having a a pleasant future was uh, most people would know it as the Menagerie, which is the two part one where Spock gets um, attempted court martialed for hijacking the Enterprise and taking it to. The planet, which now I can't remember what it is. Something Vega. Vega?
2: Yeah. Vega, Vega. 4 okay. or
3: something, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, man, uh, there's next week's fact check. I know, eh? And then, uh, uh but that was actually also the originally. it was based on the original pilot, which was called The Cage, starring Jeffrey Hunter as Christopher Pike. Uh is that right? Yes. No. Is it Jeffrey Hunter? Yes, it is Jeffrey Hunter. Yes. Gary Lockhart was in the actual first broadcast episode. All righty, and um, the other piece we were talking about is uh, what are we saying? African American? How do we say it now? Is it is that correct term? I can never know. Depends if they're from America and or black. You were about. talking about about yeah. um, black people on mm-hmm. the original show, other than Michelle Nichols, but William Marshall played uh, on the ultimate computer. That was like, the episode I was talking about, where the they they thought the Enterprise could be driven by a computer. And you don't need these pesky humans. Uh, that was Daystrom, Doctor Daystrom. Hmm. Which hmm. we should all we should all feel shame for not knowing that's that's who that character was. And uh but he famously also was Blackula. Oh yeah. Um and uh which of course uh star, his co star on those movies or one of those movies was Pam Greer who was mm-hmm. resurrected by uh Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Um Interestingly though about William Marshall like you know, as a kid, you know how you kind of you kind of recognize a face. Well I, I recognized him from Star Trek. I was probably about maybe 9 or 10 when I saw him in a made for TV movie and I tried to look on IMDb to see if I could figure out what it was, but where he played a bad guy. Like, you know, like he had a bludgeon and he would beat people and um he was like a like a slumlord or something like that. Um and I just that was the first time I ever really kind of clued in that people can be like nasty pieces of work, right? So, and that was that was him, him playing the him playing the role. So, Scarred me for life. I still remember that. Anyway, so we'll move over to headlines. Oh, hold and...
0: on. I got the fact check for oh, the fact oh, check. It was oh. Talos 4. I got the four raves. Right? Talos, Talos 4. Talos
3: 4. Thank mm, you very much. The was the name of the girl, French. right? Vina. Vina. Vina was the name of the girl.
0: <laughs> I want to see how far down this rabbit hole you're going to go. Yeah. Yes, it
3: was Vina. You were absolutely right. It's Vina. And they were Talosians, those guys. The the brain
0: With people the big brainy people yes which is funny because that's also the same character name from Secret Invasion which we'll be talking about more Did bit. you
3: know that the Telosians were all female actors? Like you know what? That makes sense. Yeah. Cuz they were all short, right? Uh and, well
0: no, I mean they kind of had an androgynous look.
2: Yeah, shorter stature, yes. That's yeah.
0: true.
2: Sorry, how many were you saying? I think they might have done something like that casting-wise for the binars in the yeah. next generation as well. Oh, right, yeah. Like like they learned from that old TOS trick of like, hey, you can get this particular look if you cast them this way.
3: Nice. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. All pesky testosterone. Um, but we'll <laughs> head over to the headlines. And uh, speaking of testosterone, here's Jonathan with the headlines. Oh, wow. Thank you for that.
0: Uh, I wanted to start this week with a little Star Trek news. So uh, I saw this pop up on my newsfeed this week, and I thought, wow, that's awesome. So there was an announcement this week that a classic DS9 novel is getting an audiobook. Now, this is particularly relevant for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, the book in question is called uh, A Stitch in Time, and it Mm -hmm. was written by Andrew Robinson, and Andrew Robinson, for those who do not know, played Garrick. The Taylor slash spy, perhaps Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, on the DS9 series. Mm-hmm. He wrote this book after the series ended. I, I do own it. I have my uh, original copy still on the shelf. It is a great book. It's written about Garrick, sort of from his perspective. And uh, Roberts did a great job on the book. But there's never been an audiobook version, and I guess a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a uh, groundswell. Simon & Schuster has confirmed that they will release the first audiobook adaptation uh, of this book that is now 23 years old, and it will be narrated by Andrew Robinson himself. So you can actually have Garrick reading as Garrick reading this book, which sounds awesome because he is actually a really good uh, performer in, in that role, particularly very memorable. So yeah, I thought that was really cool.
3: Yeah, that was kind of a cool sleeper role, I think, you know, on the show. Because he'd he sort of show up and... Because I don't think we realized he was a spy until much later, like several episodes in, right?
0: Well, he they would've... definitely alluded to him having a mysterious past. But he, there was always that, is he just messing with Bashir? Or is he yeah. actually sort of somebody important that has been sort of hiding out on DS9 under the noses of, of Starfleet? Right. And then, of course, as the series plays out, you do learn more and more about sort of his involvement and everything else. And also there's the whole sort of uh, subtext of the fact that he clearly wants to sleep with Bashir <laughs> through the whole thing, oh, too. Really? So, oh, Oh, my God. You could cut the sexual attention on those conversations with a knife. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Jaime, you agree with that assessment? Yeah. I was. Uh,
2: think so.
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, was, I wasn't answer. imagining that, was I? <laughs> no. <laughs> He looked. He looked at uh, City Alfadil like he wanted to. Yeah, serve him with a side of ice cream.
3: Yeah, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right, I have a story here, quick uh, one. Uh, since we talk about Ticketmaster a lot and Live Nation, um, this is just a quick one that uh, the U.S. government is going after uh, Ticketmaster and Live Nation to stop junk fees in the selling of uh, tickets uh, to people. Which is kind of interesting. It's kind of good to see, but I, I think. I don't, who was it we were talking to? Um, maybe it was a more than just code. We were talking about Taylor Swift concert concerts, and the reason why it got the big news is because the congressman's daughters couldn't get tickets to the show, and that's how it became, uh, went into the American government and upset the whole uh, regime. So,
0: Yeah, is it going to be called the Taylor Swift rule or the Robert Smith rule?
3: I do uh... Yeah. Oh, you know it's funny. Annie was Annie reached out to me. She's she's got tickets for Mastodon, and, and she was asking Mastodon and somebody else. I can't remember the name. And she was saying that uh, they had instituted the same uh, transfer rule, right? Like you yeah, know, yeah, you couldn't. Yeah. So she was trying to figure out how we upgraded our seats and stuff. And-
0: yeah i mean in an an affordable and equitable way when people weren't using them they put them back for the exact same price they paid for them and the people who were there were able to purchase them that's how in theory it should work as opposed to the inflated prices that Ticketmaster charges for its own tickets as well as the Mm -hmm. ones that scalpers sell so yeah i yes please if we could make that the standard that would be excellent
3: well, yeah. I mean, like the the if you're first if you're the first guy to the gate, then you deserve to have a a, a seat at the show, if not a better seat at the show. But yeah, yeah, The fact that we were able to upgrade twice for the for the cure was great, right? Yeah. So it should be like that all the time. Absolutely. All right, back to you, John.
0: Yeah, this is sort of a twofer here. So one, I will start by saying uh, that Tim and I went to go see. Oh, spoilers. Went to yes. go see The Flash last weekend, mm-hmm. and uh, so we can we can do the spoiler free review of well, that.
3: Before we do that, before we do that, a, like so, so I enjoyed the movie. I also right? enjoyed the movie. So I think I think the 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 Rotten Tomatoes and the ticket sales do not reflect on the quality of this movie. That's my recommendation. Go see it.
0: I agree. I think it was. I actually heard a whole conversation on a podcast that is quite popular, that I quite enjoy this week, and they talked all about what a big, huge flop it was, and then both mm-hmm. of the people on the podcast admitted they hadn't seen it. And I was like, hey. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Come on. Like, I, I get, obviously, people have DC movie fatigue. I get that, obviously, a lot of people understand that there's a regime change there, and these movies are not quite as cohesive as they perhaps were in the past.
2: Mm-hmm. But...
0: Don't critique things you haven't seen. So, that being said, uh, we did see it. I thought that there was a lot to like about it. Again, I won't go into any of the plot details. Obviously, in the trailer, you know some of the basics. You know that there's a a reappearance of Michael Keaton. That was super fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's two Ezra Millers at one point. That's in the trailers, too. Again, super fun. I, I must admit, I came away from the whole thing. And, you know, we've talked on this podcast in the past about Ezra Miller. and their issues with the law and obviously the complications that's, uh, that's led to for Warner brothers and DC and marketing this movie and everything else. But they were great. Uh, They are a very talented performer. Mm -hmm. I I came away thinking like, I really hope they get their act together because they're clearly talented. Like without a doubt led that movie with humor and emotion and, you know, yeah, I, I thought they were great. And I and yeah. I was really, it just made me, sort of hit me in the face of, and again, I, I had seen them in other roles and enjoyed, but like carried a movie and was good in it. And it was just, mm-hmm. it just made it that much more heartbreaking that they are having all these other issues outside of being an actor that are, that are interfering with their,
3: their performances because yeah, super talented, really good. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. And- yeah. Go ahead. And I was going to say, Michael Keaton was was fun to see him back as Batman, too. But it's sort of like not quite uh, sort of like a guest starring role in a sense. Right. Like it had yeah. more lines in it than I than I anticipated. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 But uh, anyway, all that to say, I would say you don't necessarily have to see it on the big screen. Obviously, sci fi and, and superhero movies are really fun on the big screen. We saw it on IMAX and, mm-hmm. you know, it was good. It was really good uh it was convoluted there is a lot of like where's this going it is timey-wimey it is and again i also get that people are feeling multiverse ultra unit universe whatever you want to call it fatigue given the amount that has happened in a lot of different sci-fi program over the past few years so again i get some of those criticisms and they're fair however it should be pointed out this movie is also several years old it's been sitting in the can for a little while but um If you can get past that, it is totally worth a watch. It is right there in my mind with the the new Suicide Squad movie. It's probably better than the new Suicide Squad, frankly. Uh, As far as DC movies over the past few years, it's probably the movie I've enjoyed most since Wonder Woman.
3: Yeah. Did Hmm. did Ben have come back to play Batman for this, or or are you saying it was been in the can that long? Um,
0: So that is where I guess the story that I have here comes into play. So again, I will not spoil uh, anything for Jaime or any of our listeners who haven't watched it yet. I imagine a lot of people who are fans of this stuff, like I'm sure you are Jaime, will probably not bother going to see it in the movie theater, but will instead watch it when it pops up on, on max or wherever it shows up down the road. But they apparently had filmed multiple, multiple, multiple different twists and turns endings for the Flash, based on who was in charge, because this this has been sitting around for a while. And so apparently they've gone back and filmed scenes, all kinds of cameos, all kinds of other scenes. Uh, if you have seen the movie, check the show notes. There's a really good story in there about just, like, A-list actors who they brought in to film these, these little scenes towards the end that they just ended up throwing on the cutting room floor because they just didn't fit in anymore with where all of this is going. So it's a pretty convoluted story. Uh it was all over the place. Hollywood Reporter has the one that I've got linked here. Even the Washington Post wrote about it this this week, talking about uh, you know, all these different bits and pieces, but it's it's pretty it's pretty complicated. So uh yeah, all that to say, it definitely feels like this movie is a bit of a victim of DC movie fatigue, superhero fatigue, multiverse fatigue, and just overall movie theater fatigue. And I don't think that that is a fair reflection of what is otherwise a pretty enjoyable couple hours with a bag of popcorn, so.
3: Yeah, and I don't know, without trying not to spoil it, it isn't really a multiverse story. It's it's a don't-mess-with-the-timeline-stories.
0: Yeah, it's, it's timey-wimey. It's, it, right? it's a little bit more like Far From Home in that, you know, Peter Parker is the master of his own disaster, right?
3: Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I and mean, that, that may be why people are kind of thinking it's been done it's funny how you know something like this may have been even like i don't know time-wise if it was like being produced at the same time as far away from home or i don't know i don't know you know what i mean like like you see something in one show and then then pop culture gets a hold of it and then they see they think the originator of the idea is copying the more successful version of it right or the more more recent version so
0: yeah and this one again if you read all of the the sort of stuff that has come out this last week since it's been released, you know they talk about the Michael Keaton appearance, and apparently that was supposed to be tied into the appearance he was supposed to have in the Batgirl movie that was also supposed to be in the theaters. And apparently that all that got thrown out the windows, and then they had to refilm a bunch of that. So again, I think people who are not loving that sort of whole Zack Snyder Justice League era of of DC movie making you know maybe this isn't for you although it does kind of stand on its own okay but yeah i think it just it kind of is a victim of a lot of circumstance and i don't think that is a fair reflection of the performances or of the film or of uh or the movie entirely so
3: yeah the one thing too we talked about you mentioned the fact that we saw this in IMAX there are some scenes specifically with Batman's toys right um like in the bat cave and and when the, the I don't know, bat plane, whatever you want to call it, shows up, some of those scenes, like, really benefit from being on a big screen, right? Because you, you get the sense of, you know, um, gravitas and the size of those devices, right? Yeah. That you don't really get on the TV screen, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it's a fair rule to say that most science fiction and, and comic book-related properties always look better on a big screen, but, again, you can't blame people for... One, being selective, obviously, in where they choose to spend their money and their time, but also, uh, yeah, just if if they feel like they're being sold something that uh, is not necessarily going to matter in the grand scheme of of storytelling for a certain series in in a year when they reboot everything, I guess I I get it. I I will tell you, uh, Jaime, we did see in IMAX they showed a, a whack load of trailers before. The movie started, and one of them mm-hmm. was the the long version of the trailer for Blue Beetle, and that looked pretty neat on the big screen. I must admit. Oh, I thought cool. you were going to say
3: that about Mission Impossible, oh, Jonathan.
0: Good lord! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I I I gritted my teeth as they played the longest trailer ever. for it wasn't this that long, honestly. Mission Impossible Seventeen or whatever
3: the hell it is. <laughs> Yeah, all of Jonathan said is, I hope the shoot doesn't open.
0: <laughs> yeah, at one point, he's he's in the trailer at the very beginning. He's on a motorcycle, and he's about to zip off this cliff. And I knew it was really Tom Cruise, because really Tom Cruise does his own stunts. And I just kept thinking, oh, one of these days, that shoot's not going to open.
3: No, 100%. I mean, uh, like, I think I, we talked about it on the show, because it was one of my picks. It was the 10-minute making of that particular scene, you know, where... where uh he had to learn to do the the biking and the jumping and the and the free what do you call it uh, free gliding free what free what do you call it when they did base base dive base base jumping. jumping base jumping he had to learn to do that too right um, yeah because he's he's an idiot right <laughs> who else hangs off the side of a plane you know and with the camera rolling let's go back and do
2: another take Mr Cruz you know it's it's something around the spectacle of uh, some of these scenes that. With the exception of Tom Cruise, when I see people doing stunts in movies nowadays, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's like CGI for most of it, right? It's, you know, the Tom Cruise doing his own stunts as much as he can get away with. I do appreciate from that aspect, because I saw through through YouTube, because it recommends stuff, a uh, James Bond moonraker scene where, you know, they're like going out of the plane with you know without parachutes like there's not enough parachutes for everybody so bond has to like go steal a parachute from a guy you know midair and i'm like well you know yeah they probably have you know safety stuff and everything but like they literally had to go do that right <laughs> like they couldn't cgi that they had to, sure you can tell oh this part right here is the uh, you know it's not actually uh was it was it roger moore camera or or timothy dalton yeah roger it's not actually him but it's like it's a real person doing that it's yeah, a stunt and person. It's two doing guys
3: it. fighting over a parachute
2: as they're falling through the sky and a third guy's filming it right yeah yeah so it's like extra nuts and and how many uh, <laughs> how many um uh you know jumps they had to do just to film this tiny like 30 second scene yeah. you know like that's i remember seeing awesome. like i
3: remember around the time that raiders of the lost art came out they they had all, like there were like many um times interviewing even interviewing the stuntman the you know the, the scene where indiana is underneath the truck and he's he's ha- hand over hand um having himself like moving himself to the back of the truck as the truck's whipping down the road and the guy had a, pl- a plate on his back to protect him but that was a guy doing that right and then when he turns around and throws his whip and and he's getting dragged by the truck right that, again, same stuntman, like, like, you know, this, yeah, now it's all CGI, like you said, but there was some guy who was just nuts enough to do that back in the day, right? It's kind of like that, uh, was that, uh, Quentin Tarantino, the last one, the last movie, the How to Live or Die in Hollywood, that was the same kind of um, stuff, right? Because it wasn't uh, Once Brad Upon Pitt... a
0: Time in Hollywood, yeah.
3: Yeah, Brad Pitt played the stuntman for Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Yeah, same sort of idea. Cool stuff. Anyway, I I will hope I hopefully will see Tom Cruise jump off a cliff on a motorcycle in IMAX someday soon.
0: I only if he doesn't stick the landing do I ever want to see that in IMAX.
3: Well, and the sad part about it was, is Jonathan messaged me saying, "Hey, there's only one one theater showing IMAX for this Flash movie, right?" And it was like a couple of days before it's going to be gone, right? So we
0: yeah, had to. I think it has the run of the IMAX theater for six or seven days, and then it's bumped out for. Yeah. For Mission Impossible and everything else. Yeah.
3: It's sad. Yep. Yeah. Oh, is Mission Impossible coming out next? Uh, I don't know if that's this week or next week. I can't remember Yeah, because I know Tom Cruise is complaining about the fact that he he's getting kicked out by Oppenheimer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But that's not coming out to like the 23rd of July, something like that. So yeah, it's a busy stretch over the next couple of weeks. All right. Let's move on. I've got uh, a couple of uh, of Sony Spider-Man related movie news. The movie that was announced a little while back, you two might recall, we we talked about this one. So there was supposed to be a spinoff from Spider-Man that they had apparently announced of the character El Muerto. That is the the uh, luchador character that was appeared in Spider-Man going to be played by Bad Bunny. And um, it has apparently been pulled off of the Sony movie release schedule. It was supposed to come out in January. And it has been completely and entirely removed. So there is no new release date. They have not said the fate of this. It's not clear if this is going to be pushed down the road. They have not made any announcements related to this. It is just off the schedule. It is quite possible this is a casualty, as we talked last week, of the the different shifting that is happening because of the writer's strike that's happening, covering a lot of movies and television shows. But it is not happening for the time being when it was supposed to come out. So. I personally was not. I, I've read the comics where where El Mato shows up. I couldn't. I mean, it, yeah, I, I wasn't wasn't dying for this one, so that's fine.
2: Yeah, I think for this kind of character, uh, I think Sony putting this in theaters is a mistake. It really feels like it should be a series. If you're gonna do that, right? You should do um, basically like The Punisher. Yeah. For the average person, right? Yeah, people would be like, I, I didn't have. Maybe tangential, like, hey, you know, aunt and uncle, hey, third cousin, have you heard of this one? No, check it out, it's cool. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll sit and watch that on Netflix or Paramount Plus or you know HBO Max and stuff. Like, I feel like yes, Sony is trying to put stuff into theaters and they're doing what they've got with what they have, but I'm like, this is a little far, you know. That's a little hard one to to do. Well, and they're they're also they're doing the use
0: it or lose it philosophy, right? They're they're using their licensed characters so they don't have to return them to Marvel. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they've got this whole set of IP that isn't just Spider-Man, which of course has produced good quality material. They have produced good Spider-Man movies, and especially I mean, we just talked about uh, the new, the newest Into the Spider-Verse movie last week, and, which was amazing. So they've done good ones, but they've also done Morbius and Venom and Venom Let There Be Carnage. And the movie we're about to talk about next, which is Craven the Hunter, which got a big trailer drop this week. And I think it's safe to lump this one in with those other movies. Do you either of you have any
3: strong feelings about the trailer for Craven the Hunter? Uh, yeah, it's a, I think it's pretty much a hard pass for me. Yeah, like, hmm, like uh, was the, the one you just mentioned the um... oh, Morbius or Venom or. Uh... Yeah, I haven't seen either of those two. Right. And uh, yeah, this, so this this I probably see those two before I see this one. I mean, part part of it was um, and I know it's I know it's part of the um, the what do you call it? The story, the, the origin story of the character, the, the, the scene with the lion. But I just as soon as I saw that, I'm like, uh, nope. Yeah, they definitely
0: gave Craven some abilities in this trailer that Craven in the comic books has never possessed. So uh, that was a bit of a departure. It's, it's a strange thing that they're doing all these sort of anti hero supporting Spider Man characters. They're all characters that have at times been straight up villains, at times have been anti heroes, and at times have been obviously at odds with Spider Man throughout the comic's history. I just, don't, I'm not sure I understand what they're trying to do other than just it's a tangential Spider-Man character. People will, will will come and spend money. And to their credit, those Venom movies made a fair bit of money. They like, clearly there's some there there for them. Uh, I thought the first one was okay. The uh, second one was one of the funniest movies I've seen in the last few years. Unintentionally, I hope. But I did find myself laughing hysterically at how bad it was. I haven't seen Morbius yet, but I, I promise myself I will at some point watch it because just for, again, for the unintentional comedy scale, I imagine it's off the charts. I, I just, I don't understand. Like, is the the goal to, to create all these characters and then eventually put them in conflict with Spider-Man so that you actually know who they are and therefore there's more gravitas? I, I just, I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in this movie. Like... In the trailer it looks like okay, so Craven is is played by Aaron uh Taylor Johnson, who I love. I think he's great, great performer. I loved him in almost everything I've seen him in. I think he's terrific. Uh Bullet
3: Train. Bullet train.
0: Bullet train. He's fantastic in bullet train. He's fantastic in kick ass. He's he's been in lots of stuff and he's great. He, in the movie, it seems like, you know, he's playing, you know, young Victor Kravinov, who is, you know, apparently his dad is a mobster and something bad happens. And he ends up having to go and, and you know, sort of exact revenge on him at some point or something. But I just found myself thinking, so he in the comics is a bad guy here. They're setting him up to be sort of uh, an, a dark, good guy, an antihero kind of a punishery kind of character. I I just again I don't understand why they're doing this. Like to me Craven would be an amazing character to do in a Spider-Man movie because the whole concept is just Craven is trying to prove that he's superior to Spider-Man. He can he can catch and kill anything because he's so powerful and he basically sets his sight on Spider-Man in the comic books. That's a great dichotomy that, to to explore. I don't understand why They want to do an entire story just around him where apparently he's in conflict with his dad and expect me or other people to care. Mm -hmm. Jaime, you must have feelings about this.
2: It's a a weird one, because I think if you look at it from the lens of, hey, this is trying to be uh, a cinematic universe kind of thing, they're setting up the Rhino, another Spider-Man villain as well. Feels really weird because it feels a little meh when it comes to a superhero. It's not kind of as weird and cool as a venom conceptually um even morbius has more of that this is a little bit more um down to earth in some respects for for like a superhero thing so if you look at it instead as like okay what if this didn't have the tie-in to craven the hunter and this was you know raven the hunter and it's Mm -hmm. kind of you know uh more or less john wick in the serengeti right like Then I feel like, oh, okay. There's a movie I might watch on Amazon Prime or something, right? And it feels a little bit more appropriate for that. So uh, this one just feels like it's in a weird spot for me. I'm like, I probably will watch this, not in the theaters. I won't immediately watch it when it becomes available on digital. I will like find a Sunday afternoon, uh, unless Paw Patrol Three comes out (laughs) 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 to keep me entertained while I'm doing the laundry and washing the dishes, right? Like this is this is that sort of level of thing that I think. Um, is my take. I didn't think it was bad, it just felt like, you know, it, it goes towards the end of the queue. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair assessment. When you
0: break it down like that, Jaime, if you if you are going with, like, Raven the Hunter, it feels exactly the way you're describing. It feels like something you'd flip on Netflix and sort of partly pay attention to while you're doing something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But not a cinematic movie that probably cost over $100 million and, you know, expects to find like room in the, in the theaters. I, I, again, I just, it's amazing that the same studio that greenlights things like the Miles Morales, Spider-Man animated pictures me makes these, it just is baffling.
3: Right. Me. Um, yeah, this is an interesting story. And and I also heard interesting things about the Oppenheimer movie too. So for people who have seen it already, um, this new black mirror episode, uh, is making, well, they're saying you're making subscribers cancel their accounts. I don't know if that's the case, but, but but apparently this episode on Black Mirror is, which I haven't seen because I haven't got my Netflix working right now, um, uh, is quite disturbing. And people are like, you know, leaving the episode going, what was that? Right. So I don't know. I don't know if you guys have seen the episode they're talking about.
0: You know, I was going to watch it last night. I actually, I fired it up and I I started the first like 30 seconds and then thought, you know what? I'm not going to watch this before bed. I'll watch it later in the week. I mean, again, the ingredients look amazing. It's Annie Murphy from, from uh, Schitt's Creek, the the great comedic actor uh, who you really liked her in. What was the name of the AMC series she was Kevin
3: in? Kevin can F himself. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. then
0: uh, she's got a history of shows that uh, to skirt the expletive lines. But uh, hmm. she's great And and everything I've seen her in. I really enjoy her. And then uh, Salma Hayek is in the episode as well. And so I'm... So yeah, it's, it really seems like it's a good ingredients for a good episode, but um, yeah, I haven't had a chance to sit down and actually watch it yet. We'll, we'll watch it this weekend. We'll decide if it's scarring or not.
3: Well, apparently, but apparently, the, uh, the, the, just, I read something earlier um, that, um, um, now why am I drawing a blank on the name of the guy who's doing the movie, who made the movie, famous director, Michael, no, no, uh, Oppenheimer. Oh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, yeah, he was saying that, that some people are, are walking out of that movie changed, like, like disturbed. I mean, it seems yeah. like it's
0: going to take a pretty grim look at the creation and existence of nuclear weapons, which I hope scare the pants off people. It's supposed to. It's a potentially, you know, an annihilation-level threat to humanity. I, I hope people come out scared. I hope they call their congressperson or senator or... Think about it when they're at the ballot box next
3: year. Yeah, well, even, even flash Oppenheimer into the, was... Flash
0: into your heads just for a moment, Jaime. I'm going to put this on you as our American, uh, our American in the crowd here. Just think about how scary that concept is, and then remember that for four years, Donald J. Trump had access to those. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> <And> the good <laughs> thing is it's not just, like, slowly. a button you push. There's, like, other people that have to, to uh, collude, which is... The skinniest little, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, God, uh, uh, you know, safety net that you can imagine, but it is a safety net. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. thank God they have a prime directive, which leads <laughs> us
3: into this week's episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra per Aspera. which Which means, da, da, which means to the stars through hardship, according to Una. Well, Latin's, got...
0: Latin's a bit of a, a bugger to translate. It's either hardship or difficulty, depending on yes. your interpretation mm-hmm. of Latin. Yes.
3: Yeah, so and we, we can start with, uh, with our pitches. Uh, my pitch is, hope you have a lady judge. <laughs> that always seems to work out pretty well. Not always, though, but yeah. And what do you got for your pitch, John?
0: Uh, I had, uh, they want the truth. Starfleet can't handle the truth.
3: <laughs> How about you, Jaime? Better call Nero. Yeah. Better call Nira. Yeah, good, good one. That's that's the, probably the better one. Yeah, for sure. So, in case you haven't seen it, you know uh, this is this is the um, I guess the conclusion to the cliffhanger from last series where Una gets arrested at the end of the end of the uh, series for being an augment, which apparently is illegal in in the Federation, and um, she's joined Starfleet, risen through the ranks, and then somehow it's outed that she is in fact an augment and therefore shouldn't have even been in Starfleet. And, uh, so this is the court martial case where she's up against it to, um, uh, to, and, you know, uh, Pike's captain girlfriend, uh, is the, the prosecutor. So that's, that's another set of tension for our man Pike. Right. And, uh, yeah, he risks uh, life and limb to go and uh, find a really good Elarian, uh litigator to defend and convinces her to defend uh, Una, right? That's the gist of the show. Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and that's it. It was all over. They went home. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was a legal drama, right? Like, uh, for best pew pew pew, I wrote the legal zingers, I guess, because there wasn't really traditional pew pew pews in this one. Well, my best PPU was
3: the the Vulcan blinking contest. Yeah,
2: that's a good one.
3: <laughs> and then Nira versus April, and then Nira versus everybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was uh, this was a crackling episode from the the dialogue perspective. This is one of the best written episodes I think we've seen of of New Trek. Mm-hmm. Really great dialogue and some amazing delivery from the, the different performers in this one. But the. Uh, yeah, there was a couple in there that really were were absolute zingers. We'll get, obviously we'll get into some of our quotes, but I, I had the uh, the Pike versus Patel, where you know Pike is sort of fuming that he's not going to be called to the stand, and his his ex girlfriend slash prosecutor for the the case basically walks him down like, well, this is what it would be like, and just sort of skewers him there in the in the bar, and it was pretty savage, but she was bang on. Yeah, I And that, that, that happened anyway, right? Well, I mean, yeah. She, what she predicted would happen if he got too close to the case is exactly what plays out, which is that, you know, uh, the, 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 the Starfleet uh, prosecutor will eventually come after him and try and make things even worse for Una by making it worse for him. What else have we got category-wise here? Let's see. Easter egg hunt. I had uh, a couple. So... The bell that they ring to start the trials, the same one that they used to ring at the beginning of the menagerie. Mm-hmm. Do you think it was the same bell or just I don't the, think same, it was the same bell? but was the exact the same, same sound. Singing. I, that, yeah, I yeah. didn't even notice the bell because I think I was taking a note, but I heard it and I was like, oh, that's the same bell. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, and the one that I thought was like the best one was just they, in the end, you know, if you haven't seen this, I don't know why you're listening to us, but in the end, <laughs> they... Uh, free Una because she basically is granted asylum by this tribunal as opposed to them actually rewriting this law so the law is still in the books about genetic manipulation they didn't wipe that off the books and that's important because we know that by the time we get into a hundred years later that this exact law will come up around Dr. Bashir in DS9 right oh really
3: in what way uh, well, he he was genetically manipulated by his parents too. Oh, was he? Oh, right. He gets he gets right. over, raked over the coals too, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: that it they they couldn't they could have got themselves into a real cross wire jam. As a matter of fact, as it was happening, I was like, "How are they going to get out of this one?" Because they were headed down a path to do this, and I was thinking, uh, they can't. Repeal this law unless they then put in another law which makes no sense because it wouldn't work because we know that this case comes back around by the time we get to d s nine but I thought the way they solved it was actually pretty elegant in that they they basically said you know oh no we couldn't we couldn't do it that way because
3: yeah so so in the case of bashir like how do how do they how does his case get overturned?
0: I'm trying to remember the details how I many do you does remember he, that does episode he run away in detail? with Garrick
2: or what it, it was um It's kind of a weird spot, because, like, this episode for Una was like, oh, she's, like, practicing genetic engineering. I'm like, well, no, her parents did, right? Because it it happened. It was something they did to her. And the same thing with Bashir. It was something his parents did to him. The, The thing they get tripped up on is, you know, both of those individuals knowingly... Um, lied on their applications, which is like real weird and ticky tack, but like technically true. The way that Bashir's goes is like, oh, his father takes all the heat and his father goes to New Zealand for prison um, in exchange for letting Bashir and, and, you know, you know, you, you save the universe a couple times, like, oh, all right, we'll let you get away with this at, this time. Right. It was one of those sort of grudging sort of compromises. Yeah, as I, I, I'm
0: looking it up now, and I'm like, yep, it's coming back now. Yeah, it's, it's the Dr. Bashir, I presume, episode, right? The one where he's going to be turned into the medical hologram, and then uh, he's as that's happening, they sort of uncover this sort of secret from his past, and it all comes out. And Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. It's interesting that, you know, like, when you think about it, that this episode kind of goes at and points out that Starfleet, for all their, you know... Um, Better than everybody else, sort of platitudes, right? Has these ingrained, um, bad laws essentially. Like, you know, we we run across it with Picard with the uh, with the uh, synthetic humans, you know, we Bashir here, you mentioned, um, the whole Vulcan, you know, Spock being half Vulcan, half earthling, he's he's not welcoming either society it seems like you know like it's funny that i mean i get it that star trek came out of the 60s so that was like a natural sort of thing that just happened you know um but yeah it's interesting that that's that that for all that star trek is is meant to be this this you know scientific logical but emotional you know joyride for all of us there's a lot of these sort of prejudices and biases built in right Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Oh, and they get they're calling themselves on their own bs right
0: yeah i it's i found myself watching this one of course you know we always talk about the legacy of Trek. you know this this is obviously a trek trope as well the the ethical debate in the guise of a court case this has certainly come up before you know is data sentient does he have rights you know uh, you know the captain's going to get court martialed but he, oh, they made the right decision in the end, and it's okay. You know? Yeah, Pike and Pike and Spock for sure. So they've they've certainly this is well worn over the over the sixty years of Star Trek. But that being said, this was a banger of an episode. It was great. Like this, this is the best of Trek. Crackling dialogue, killer performances, something that really feels like it's bringing the whole crew together. You really felt that, like. That we're in this together, collegial kind of thing that's going on with with the whole crew, sort of watching the case and and trying to do what they can. The angst that Laon feels, just this was great. And I wanted to shout out the the actress who played um, the the defense attorney. I um, name I wrote down here as uh, that lady from that show. That lady from the show. Counselor Nira Kutel Kutal was the uh character name Yitid Badaki Badaki um who I knew only from seeing a bit of the American God series on Amazon Prime she was on that um she was great and man when we get to the the quotes like she dominated there now again great dialogue great writing but she killed it she was really 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 good in this episode so my big question for this episode was does does Trek get much better than this? Like this is this is to me so far like one of the high water marks for for new Trek from you know sort of post discovery Trek. This was great. Well,
3: I mean yeah, but but you know and but but Star Trek's been like this like like you know f- Um, Like you mentioned, like in the the 68 series, there was, you know, these kind of court martial drama things, you know.
0: Well, and mixed in with that, you know, the episode where there's the two characters, the black and white, the white and black, you know, again, a commentary on racism and stuff like that.
3: Can't you tell he's different? Yeah, Yeah,
0: like this smacked of that and everything else. It's it's an ethical commentary it's a moral commentary it's kind of a commentary on some of the things that are happening in the united states right now uh that are you know the things that divide and and you know separate versus bring together Uh, you you know again it's hard to do that and still make an entertaining product it's hard to do that to get up on that soapbox and they even they kind of take a little bit of the the piss out of themselves in this episode by uh una at one point basically says to You know, you just wanted the soapbox, which is, you know, something that the writers of Star Trek get accused of and the producers of Star Trek get accused of from time Mm -hmm. to time. Mm -hmm. But man, they nailed it. Like, it could have been way too much, way too over the top, but it was a very satisfying and thoughtful and well-performed narrative that served the characters well. It served Star Trek well. It served the legacy well. And it didn't mess up the timeline again. This being a prequel show, you know, I think this is one of the strongest things that Star Trek's done. And yet it is perilous. They're still in the past. They can mess things up. But they didn't.
2: They actually uh, ended up patching up some stuff, too. So my Easter egg, uh, or at least one of them, was... uh... That general order one is now referred to as the prime directive, yeah. right? right? Yes. She she tied it yeah. together of like this weird sort of oddity of how it sort of seemingly changes, but it's like no, actually, I guess they they gave it a nickname and it kind of stuck around. So just thought about... the dress uniforms looked good. I liked uh, seeing look all the different colors too. You had medical, uh, engineering, security, and um, uh, science.
3: Yeah. And she had that big brooch thing that that Kirk had when he was during the court martials, right?
0: Uh yeah, I guess I think it's supposed to be like a metal cluster.
3: Yeah, perhaps yeah, yeah. Yeah. To show she's like, you know, been around the block and Well wow, twenty five
0: years service in Starfleet, you gotta think you've earned yeah. a couple of commendations since like she is a
3: you know yeah. a a veteran. Yeah. I like the part at the end when where she gets she's back on this uh the Enterprise spoilers, but she's back on the Enterprise and <laughs> uh and uh Pike walks up to her and just tugs her. <laughs> yeah. And she's like What <laughs> Why is this strange human hugging me?
0: We talked about uh, some of the quotes. So I, I've got a couple here. I, am, I don't know if you guys have a bunch more, but the, uh, yeah. Uh, Nira to <laughs> to Pike. I knew you were stubborn. I just didn't think you were stupid. I thought it was a great one. And again, her lines were crackling. Her performance was so good. Congratulations. You discovered empathy. Let me know when the rest of your Federation catches up. Uh, are you being funny? You were never funny. That's from Nira to to Una. My favorite, probably, from this whole episode is, I regret that you had to witness that outburst from Spock when he just stands up and walks away from the the, uh, the Vulcan
3: Admiral. Oh, yeah, that what, was that the outburst. Well. Okay, I didn't That that. That was
0: the outburst, yes. That was I'm after sorry the, the staring that contest outburst that you mentioned.
3: Yeah. Well, because, cause, um, what's her name? Um uh erica oh. erica and mabenga are making fun of it right yeah she's like doing the, the fake dialogue about the, <laughs> yeah. how they're getting along so well and he's like are you looking at the same conversation i'm looking at
0: yeah no and mabenga again he's he's always crushed it that guy's great and the uh yeah the line where he basically says you know yeah they keep it a lot close to the vest but you can read their body language those two hate each
3: other <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and then uh, Una, uh sorry um what's her name yeah uh, i'm looking I'm looking right at no No, no, no. Um, La'an says, why do I feel like I've been hit by a shuttle? Yeah. 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 Which is a reference only a Star Trek fan would get, right? Yep.
0: And the, the last one was just, again, just excellent writing on top of the soapbox. If a law is not just, then I ask, how are we to trust those who created the law to serve justice? I want that one spray painted on the steps of the U.S. House of Representatives, please. and several several state houses in the United States right now please yeah everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or Mc Sandwich but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day that crispy fish
1: that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time
2: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <sighs> and now that I'm off my soapbox, how about we talk about episode one of Secret Invasion? Ooh, the resurrection. I yeah. know what's
2: your pitch. Nick Fury is too old for this shift.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we went the same direction. I had the Skrulls want to take over Earth. Can Nick Fury stop them, or is he getting too old for this? Expletive deleted.
3: Mm, yeah, I didn't have a pitch for this one. Yeah, except except that they sure shrink, they sure can go through some uh, co-stars. Yeah, or special guests, definitely that one.
0: So proceed at your own caution, listeners. If you haven't seen Secret Invasion episode one, you're definitely going to want to skip ahead for a bit because. We're going to talk all about it, and there are some major spoilers, including a very surprising ending to this episode.
3: Two surprising endings, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely sets the stage for what could be an interesting series. I must admit, I enjoyed this episode, but I didn't love it. It was a little slow. Fury was obviously not at his at his best, so... I always find these these kinds of shows where you know it's it's the 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 old cowboy getting back on the horse kind of thing a little bit tedious because you want to see the cowboy on the horse and I know you got to earn it but at the same time it's like yeah we only got six episodes please don't burn too many episodes with that
3: yeah oh there's only six episodes to this
0: six it'll be over before July yeah so it's. If you're going to spend just six hours, and again, to be fair, it was a full 55 minute episode. It wasn't like a cheapy little, you know, Mandalorian 30 minute episode or anything, but it was, uh, yeah, a whole sixth of this series has gone by and we got kind of the lamest version of, of Nick Fury we've ever gotten in any series so far. So that, that knocked it down just a a bit for me. But that being said, it definitely was a good sage stage setter. And like, man, what a cast, what a cast in this thing. Like, you know, oh, we'll just bring in two-time Academy Award winner to play this, like, small role in the first episode i'm sure it's going to pay off with more for olivia coleman but you know they're definitely trotting them out there and of course we get uh we get you know martin freeman shows up and we get kobe Smalders and we get you know all these different little little things and of course we've got uh amelia clark amelia clark showing up in there yeah so i mean this is this is a bit of a murderer's row of talent in here as well so nothing nothing to sneeze at there and Ben Millicent, he's the guy
3: from Rogue One, right?
0: Yep, yep. Very memorably yeah. in in Rogue One. And, of course,
3: Captain Marvel, right? Yeah, and then Dermot um, Mulwini as president, I think, right?
0: Yeah, and we even got a, a very brief glimpse of Don Cheadle back as Rhodey. Although, I personally don't think that's Rhodey. I think that's somebody else. But Oh, really? Oh, really? You'll see it in so, my yeah, notes. So- my notes down below there, I, I put down Rhodey,
3: fake, and president. Okay, so um, but the Martin Freeman character, Agent Everett Ross, has that been in Marvel Universe before, or this was just the first? He was just the first, his first time on this show.
0: Uh, Well, Ross was in Black Panther, and then he was in Black Panther Two. Oh,
3: yes. So that was the same guy. Okay, cool. Yeah,
0: same, same, same character. But it was funny because when the episode starts and he's supposed to be working for the CIA, it didn't make any sense because at the end of. Black Panther. That's not where he's at. So it it already seemed a little incongruous, and then very quickly you find out that that's actually a scroll in disguise, and you're like, okay, that makes perfect sense then, because Ross is clearly doing his own thing and not not doing this, which makes sense.
3: Well, other than the dude in the the chase scene where where um, Nick Fury's chasing the one scroll through the crowd, mm-hmm. um, it they seem to imply that they had to they had to capture the person they were copying, right? In, in the middle scene there, where they had the, you know, the, the Borg sleeping units?
0: Yeah, um, and, we've, and we've seen those before. We saw those in Captain Marvel.
3: Oh, do we? Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a convenience for plot purposes. So in the comic books, scrolls, they do not need to to have their person prisoner. to they just whatever. look at you and... They just, yeah. yeah, they can just take over. But I guess what that thing is supposed to do in this case is supposed to allow them access to their memories so they actually can... Know about them and impersonate them better, and whatever else. It's also it's a good little MacGuffin too, because it's their way of saying if you're captured and impersonated, you're not dead. So there will probably, I'm sure, at some point, be a a reveal, maybe perhaps War Machine uh, that is not a character, or their character will die, and then they'll be like, oh my god, did they kill Rhodey? Well, now we know that, that they're not necessarily killing all the people that they impersonate in the comic books. It certainly does come up that they they have killed uh, a few people to replace them. So
3: right, okay. So Martin Freeman could come back.
0: Yeah, or I mean, again, in this case, it probably is just that that was you know never meant to be him, and we're just supposed to assume that that was just somebody using a convenient face. Right. Yes. No. No. no I get it. Yeah.
3: So yeah, that it was a scroll the whole time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> The pew 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 for me again. I think that you guys might have a different one. I thought the Red Scare, uh, Red Square Scare, I thought was really good. Where you know it's the the they're trying to chase the people. They've got dirty bombs. They're trying to catch them. You're trying to figure out who's got who. And of course, you know that's heightened by the fact that these people can change their shape and and their faces and stuff like that. So I, I thought that was very effectively done between the edits and the the sort of quick cuts and stuff like that. I thought that was really well. Well shot and well filmed as well as, uh, as well, you know, obviously it's a great action scene when you're trying to figure out and stop the bomb before it goes off. And then of course the big twist, which we talked about that comes out of that, which is that uh, Gravik, the, 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 ba- the, main, bad guy of the, uh, the evil forces of the Skrulls uh, impersonates Fury and uh, appears to kill mm-hmm. Maria Hill. Mm-hmm. Appears to kill? Well, I'm going to say yes, because it it seems like it was making the rounds on uh, the entertainment stuff this morning that that was the death of. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it smacked a little of fridging, a little of fridging. I mean, again, I get I get that, you know, Hill has had a good run, that Kobe Smulders has had a good run. So it's not like they just created that character to motivate the hero, which is fridging. But in this case, it's it's the the sort of mini fridge for this series, right? Now this got personal. It, before it was, I got to come back and I got to do this because I've been friends with the Skrulls and Talos needs my help and I need to prevent this invasion from sparking World War Three. But now it got personal because they killed his best friend.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So again, not, not a full-sized fridge, not like a giant uh, two-door fridge, but like a mini fridge. We'll call it a mini fridge. <laughs>
2: okay. Yeah, I, I had that as my big question. Uh, you know, is this the end of Agent Hill? Like, you know, I, I agree with you that she, she probably is dead here for the series. Uh, but it is the MCU, and there is precedence from Agent Coulson. Yep. So
3: I was going to say, they can Coulson her, right? Yeah. She's got to go to Tahiti.
2: Oh, clearly I'm the only one to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Never mind. <laughs> it's been no, so I, long I, I didn't no, see I the whole series, <laughs> but I do, I do remember getting far enough to see that, I think.
3: Yeah, then he goes to Tahiti. Too. Tahiti, yeah. yeah. Hey, where have you been? I was in Tahiti. I was in Tahiti. It's lovely there this time of year. Yes. Uh, Easter eggs.
0: I had uh, just a couple things. So uh, we learned that Talos is uh, 136 years human years old, which is equivalent to about 40 in in uh, scroll, which is interesting. So by extrapolation, yeah, like they live to well past 250 years, 300 years old, which is neat. Uh, the name Fallsworth. So, when we are introduced to introduced to Olivia Coleman's character, Sonia Fallsworth, uh, who we learn as the episode goes on is, you know, uh, a big muckety muck with MI6. Uh, the name Fallsworth tweaked my ear because Fallsworth in the comic books is the name of a character named Union Jack. Union Jack is a superhero based out of the UK. This could be simply coincidence that they chose an, a name that might perk up the ears of nerds like me, or there might be more to play in that. I sincerely doubt they're going to bring Union Jack into this, but there may be a reference to her having a brother or a cousin or whatever at some point that, again, will just sort of cement a nice little, little little nugget there for nerds like me who, who read a lot of comic books.
2: For... for, for... For for me, uh, my my Easter egg is maybe a non traditional one. So, the the heart and soul of the scroll sort of battle is is between uh, what's the dude's name? Is it Talos? Talos, yeah, yeah, Talos and Ga- his daughter Gaia. Yeah, um, and it's kind of interesting that in Greek mythology you have Gaia, the the personification of the earth given that the scrolls who have been displaced and are looking for a home have one here, potentially on earth is the conflict. So uh, I don't know if this character originates from, from the comics and if it was intended to have that, but I was like, wow, that's an interesting coincidence if it's not intentional.
0: Yeah, there, there is a similar character in the comic books. Yes. That is, that is as far as I will take that conversation. Um, Yeah. That's an interesting observation. Yeah. uh, Interesting. I never, I I sort of wrote her name down phonetically as they had in the subtitles and uh, didn't really make that connection. So that's actually really neat. I did, um, I did put it in my Easter eggs, but I suppose it is if you sort of really don't know your geography, but I really liked when they, the, the episode begins in Moscow and it's centered back in Moscow. That's where they end up. Uh, and then at one point they say 312 miles South, uh, for those of you that know your geography, 312 miles south of Moscow is Chernobyl, which was the site of the world's worst ever nuclear reactor meltdown. Yeah. And so that's why they're there. Um, they don't explicitly say that's where they are, but they do show the the smokestacks that are crumbling, and they obviously show the town, which is in, in a dire s- state, and they make a point of saying that uh, that the scrolls have a huge uh, immunity to radiation, so... Uh, that's why they set up there because the humans won't bother them there, and they can they can ha- hang out there. I thought that was actually very clever bit of
2: writing. What do you got for? Uh, do you have any big questions, Jaime? No, no big questions beyond uh, what I had said there around Agent Hill. I mean I guess there is the meta question of like who is and isn't a scroll, You know, mm. uh, it, it gets you know it just opens opportunities to get real nuts on on even stuff we've already seen that that was secretly a scroll in disguise, kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I don't have any there. The, the quotes that I'm trying to remember here that, um, sort of stuck out. One was the repetition of, uh, home in my own skin. So being who I am, which is kind of weirdly coincidentally timely with the topic of the Illyrians in this week's strange new worlds episode. So kind of, kind of interesting there of like, not, not being afraid to, to be your real self out in public, uh, is interesting. and then sort of more in line with less coincidentally interesting because it's not exactly the same week but it is the same year as what happened in star trek picard season three of uh take his face now take his mind is very similar to like the uh the dominion ex-dominion terrorist type folks doing kind of similar stuff that the scrolls are doing here yeah 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 good ones
0: yeah, I, I picked it a couple. Uh, so my my big question was first was, uh, how much can Fury trust Talos? That sort of stems from the fact that he was, obviously, he's very torn. He's conflicted between fighting his own people and, you know, having lived on Earth and his daughter's there and his wife died and all that stuff. But particularly when, when he's losing the fight against Petrushkin and Fury kills him, he seems very, very upset at the death of the Skrull, and it makes me wonder if that will come to a head as this episode, or this series continues. If, if Fury and Talos can still be on the same side when Fury's agenda, especially in the wake of Hill's death, is going to be probably gunning for blood, and Talos looks like what he's trying to do is find a way to resolve this without killing five hundred Skrulls.
3: Yeah, well, it seems like like there's probably a limited number of them, right? So. He just, and plus they're his people he doesn't want them
0: uh, on, the, on the quote front I had uh, from Talos to Fury once he, he comes down from Saber he says you're going for a long walk in Moscow at night which I think should be the question anybody's ever always asked a second they decide to walk out a door in Moscow once it's gotten dark mm-hmm. um, I know a bunch of good looking scrolls, and you ain't one of them from Fury to Talos that was pretty funny uh, and then the the, uh, the the best part of of uh, Samuel L. Jackson's uh, the most fury he is in this episode is when he they're interrogating the uh, Petrovichkin character and he says we're gonna go ahead and call that a lie everybody gets one nobody gets two and then when he lie, guy lies the second time he goes boom goes the dynamite there's lie number two again classic Sam Jackson deliveries I cannot do it justice but really great. Um, I did tag on here at the bottom of this episode. I don't know if either of you read these stories. I, I initially put one in from the Washington Post. They covered this. Uh, I put in the Entertainment Weekly one because you don't need uh, um, any kind of subscription to read it. So the thing th- about the titles, the title screen that yeah. definitely came out today in a bunch of different outlets that the title screens for Secret Invasion were apparently created using AI. Mm hmm. And a lot of people were very critical of the decision to have an AI-generated intro for this series, given, obviously, the sensitivity of what's going on during the writer's strike and this what they perceived to be an attack on artistic integrity. And yeah, so there was a lot of people on social media today and definitely some articles being written uh, that this is something that people were generally against some people were like well it was pretty funky and interesting but also marvel has explicitly not commented on this people are you know taking umbrage there was uh, definitely a few people commenting uh who were affiliated with the project who basically said i had nothing to do with the intro however i'm very disappointed they've decided to do this it's essentially a, you know intellectual plagiarism um, so I, I definitely wanted to get your take on this, Tim, as an artist, uh, what your thought is on an AI generated piece of content like this, especially as a slippery
3: slope. I don't know. I, have to, uh, now I have to go back and watch it cause <clears throat> I didn't know about it till after we started recording, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I think it's just it's just another. It's you know it's like Jar Jar Binks. It's like a fully animated character in Star Wars. What are you going to do? That was right? a
0: performance. That was a real person. I, yeah, I, I, understand, that. I understand
3: that. Right? I understand that. Like I said, you got to give me a chance to go back and watch it. I can't really comment on something I don't remember. I mean, to be honest with you, I really wasn't paying attention. I usually skip past the titles, but. Um yeah no, no, i i didn't notice whether it was anything funky about it and if if it looked like something a human being could have done then then but well, why didn't a human being human being do it if it was like funky and something that couldn't have been done by anything but an a i then that's a different story right but and you know how I feel about the whole a i thing and and appropriating misappropriating people's work without permission blah blah blah, blah. So, uh one of the one of the things resistance uh... resistance is futile you will be assimilated as well <sighs> I guess.
0: One of the uh, things they pulled off social media for the Polygon article is about, you know, basically saying this is, it almost feels like a shot fired across the bow of all the artists and writers who are on
3: strike right now saying, you know, hey. Again, again, I don't think this wasn't produced last week or it wasn't produced in the last month, right? So are you saying they could have have had time to go back and redo it to because of the fact that this the strikes happening now or
0: it just seems interesting that no one has really said anything about it. obviously uh, Marvel, Disney, etc are extremely serious about their NDAs so obviously people involved in the project couldn't necessarily comment on this before it made the light of day. However, it's surprising that that it made it all the way to publication before this sort of came to light. You'd think at somewhere along the line, I mean, to produce a show like this one There had to be visual effects artists to create the effect of the scrolls transforming back and forth. Some of the other visual effects for for the episode, there there must have been many artists who worked on this. And those were human artists, and they got paid for their work, as you should. I really do wonder what those people who worked on this project as artists feel about the idea that they basically used
2: a piece of programming to do this piece of art. (laughs) Jaime, what's your take on all this? You know, I I sort of benefited, uh, you know, some some inside baseball here for this show is that I was a bit delayed in watching um, the episode, so I actually benefited from seeing your note here of like, oh, so there's controversy about the titles. I paid a little bit more attention to them, and uh, from a aesthetic standpoint, I liked what I saw because it was kind of eerie and a, a little slightly off kilter, which sort of fits with the you know, themes of you don't know who's actually a scroll and who's not. There's something a little odd, a little off about these people. So I liked that. Um, I think the visuals were pretty sort of interesting. They looked a lot like, um, I don't know, vaguely Ralph McQuarrie-esque kind of Mm. uh, art style. It looked uh, a little vaguely, um, you know, hand-painted sort of style, even though it seems to be digital. I don't know if some of this stuff with AI will will cross a line. Obviously, I don't want people put out of jobs, but I do wonder if this will augment and supplement things. I'm going to make a very tortured comparison to uh, just about everything that a a modern Pixar movie would use, right? Where, you know, when you had the, the original Toy Story, like that was all like straight up hand animated. But nowadays, when you look at the, the incredible textures work and environmental work, like, if you wanted to be a real jerk about it, be like, they practically didn't animate anything at all. The computer program decided what that fire effect should do or what that water should do. Like, you just kind of gave it some parameters and tweet, right? Like, that's very dismissive. It's like, well, no, they're they're using the computer to, to give variations, and they're guiding it more like a creative director or art director. Yeah, they're not in there brushing every stroke, uh, but they're guiding the tool that is assisting the human. That's where I'd like to see this go, like AI assisting the human, not replacing the job of the human. That's an
0: interesting way to approach it, uh, and it, it does make me think. So if I was a writer, which I suppose in a way I am, if if I was a writer and I decided I had a great idea for a graphic novel, and, but I don't have any art skills, if I described to an AI artist, an AR art tool hey, this is what I envision. I envision this, I envision this, this is in the room that has this color, this shade, whatever, and I'm describing what I envision as the writer, am I also then the artist or is that just, you know, like again, what's, what's, where's the ethical line on, am I the artist if I've created it using my words to describe pictures that have been, been brought to life by AI?
2: It's a tough philosophical question, because if if I want to be again, I'm saying this facetiously to to try to spur some discussion here and some thoughts. If I wanted to be a jerk about this stuff and be like, well, let's look at the Academy Awards. you know, People say, wow, the best director. That was their picture. I'm like, no, it wasn't. They basically didn't do anything. They didn't write it. They didn't film it. Somebody else was running the camera, most likely, right? They, they didn't stand in front and act. They didn't do the, the editing. They didn't do the sound design. And yet we accept that, like, this is a Tim Burton movie. This is a Wes Anderson film. So I think there is uh, a place for, you may not have touched personally every little piece of this, but it was guided by your vision, and I think we've accepted that and I feel like that would be okay in the example you just brought of like I don't have um you know visual arts artistic skills but I'm a writer and I can use the AI to build a graphic novel which would normally be out of your your reach you would have to pay some other person to assist you with that
0: but then am I bypassing the artist part of the process it's it, again it's really interesting it opens up a lot of interesting philosophical discussions about what art is and how it's created and the collaborative process we talk about films being a collaborative process often um, graphic novels are a collaborative process too most of the comic books that are mainstream it's not like one person does all the writing and all the art and all the coloring the lettering editing all the different tasks that's usually is 6 7 different people so yeah it's it's a fascinating sort of thing to explore and i imagine we're going to probably see that come up in a few places and i wonder uh yeah is this where the ball is going is this is this sort of inevitability as far as technology or is this
3: well here here's the question i have is is are we saying that augmented humans aren't allowed to make movie titles anymore <laughs> because I, 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 while you guys were talking i just watched it again with the sound off but and and yeah, it looks like it looks like a, like a hand drawn animated piece. That's kind of interesting. But the thing about it is, is like what what we call AI today, and Jaime and I can both attest to this, is not pure AI. It is what's called prompt based computing, right? Where somebody like you, Jonathan, is directing the the intelligence, if you want to call it, or the the system to create scenes that evoke this, right? They, And they're saying, you know, you might get something and you you go back in and and correct the system by giving it another prompt to work on. Because, I mean, there are clearly, there's images in there that look like Samuel Jackson. There are images that look like scrolls There are images that look like two hands shaking, one's uh, different colored and look like an alien kind of thing. And and then there's like, you know, the Tower of London and uh, cityscapes and things like that. Like, these aren't... um, they're not like newly imagined, you know, uh, things. It's, it's art that's based on other stuff. And and unfortunately, artists throughout history have been replicating the, the world through their eye and through their hand, right? I mean, you know, is Data not allowed to paint a painting? I mean, if I remember correctly, my, you know, TN- TNG, he does actually do that at some point, right? You know? So it's hard to say. I mean, like, yeah, I think to answer your question, yeah, this could be part of the future going on, and that we'll see more and more of this kind of thing. And you know, like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and and you know, all that kind of stuff. Once the genie's out of the bottle, you really can't control it. I mean, like, we can we can protest all we like about it, but we're going to see more and more of this stuff, especially after people see this this title scene, right? um in in one way, Disney and Marvel have legitimized the use of this by putting this into like a major show, right so you know I'm sure we're gonna see movie trailer movie movie titles going forward and you know at the film festivals and so on and so forth and and one day we're gonna see a movie that's completely a i generated you know like not a single human being actor in it, right, but somebody's gonna have to write the story somebody's gonna have to unless it's an a i writing the story with prompts you know well sorry
2: what we call an ai but they're not really artificial intelligence right honey yeah the large language model um that power this i i do wonder going down the comic book route that jonathan was talking about like will this lead to fewer um you know great collaborations of the i'm i'm an artist i can draw i can't write yeah. i'm a writer i can write i can't draw uh let's team up and make something great um Versus like, hey, I can't do one half. All right, thanks, AI, you're helping me fill in the other half. And now I have no reason to reach out, uh, no incentive to reach out to somebody else. I hope we don't lose the collaborative nature there.
3: Yeah, there's also another side of this, too. And as as I've worked on computers and done graphics on computers and, you know, used Photoshop over the years, you know, I'm a painter, I'm a sculptor. I can, I can paint, I can draw, I can, you know, as Jonathan can attest, I can do all this stuff. In my own style, right? Admittedly, I'm not going to say I'm like Leonardo or whatever. I'm not planning to copy them at all. But, or, or even like I've looked at comic books over the years and seen how they're they're put together. I understand how they go together. I've seen things like, you know, the Spider-Man um, Cross Universe kind of movies and stuff like that. And at some point, as a as an artist, I say to myself, "Why should I bother painting? What's the point?" Right. Um, which is unfortunate, you know, because, you know, I, I want to paint, I want to draw, but the technology has gotten so good. There are so many digital artists out there with iPads and pencils and using procreate or Photoshop, and they're doing amazing stuff. And I I look at that and I kind of go, well, do I want to do that or not? Right. So I I express my, my own art in my own way, but it, it does get to the point where you're kind of like, you know, what is the actual point? Like, why would like, it takes a lot of effort to go to put together a studio and pull out canvases and paint. You know, I used to have, a, I used to take up a lot of space when I was doing that. Right. I don't have that kind of space anymore. Right. So, and I don't want to go off and rent a studio just for the sake of, of having more space. But so as I compete, like this is just another competition in terms of my, you know, desire to be an artist. Right. It's unfortunate. And, but, but same, by the same token, I realize that you are also talking about the people who get paid to do this as they're living, because that's you know what they what they've chosen as their their income stream, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a digital artist right now, I imagine you're feeling just a little nervous.
3: Yeah, yeah, but 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 at the same token though, so are so are computer engineers because you know I think that the 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 questions that come out like oh like you know uh, a Swift and an iOS app can be written by an AI like this this I'm sure I mean I've both seen stories for this over the last six six months or a year. And you know, oh, we're not going to be. We don't need to hire uh, engineers anymore to write our code because we'll just get an AI to do it for us. And the reality is, is it's not quite there yet. You no, know? um, and yet, but as I just mentioned before, about the writer prompting the system, I think we still need to have people directing directing the systems. I mean, you know, um, Skynet may be coming for all we know. Like it may it may get to the point. I think I read. I heard something on. I think it was on Spark. They were talking to somebody about AI and. And there is a there is a potential that the AIs could eventually take over and get rid of the humans, right? Or we're, we're, I'm just doing AIs so with air quotes, not really artificial artificial intelligences, but but that's that could be the future of this planet, for all we know. And on that note, let's go to our
0: watch list. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's
2: a that's a great prompt, Tim, for me to say if uh, Skynet is out there listening. Hi, yeah. for one, welcome our AI overlords. and <laughs> If you're looking to quote and quote collaborate with someone, I can jump in to help you.
3: <laughs> yeah, if you need somebody to give you some prompts every now and then, Jaime is available. <laughs> you yeah. can find him on Twitter at
0: <laughs> yeah. at collaborator oh, yeah. with the hair.
3: <laughs> yeah. So uh, on uh, on my watch list, I've got. Uh, I, I think I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Triangle Sadness. Um, let me say this about well, there's a couple of things I can say about it. Well, one is first you should watch it. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, and um, it's it's interesting because it's not your typical uh, Hollywood, you know, story or Marvel or whatever. It's it's Swedish, so it's got a bit of an IKEA twist to it. Not really an IKEA twist, but it's got a twist. Um, it's kind of like the meaning of life scene with the wafer, you know where he kind of says, you better get a bucket, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit like Cast Away. It's a little bit Lord of the Flies. It's a little bit Titanic. Um, it's it's It examines the, the class system between um, the very, very rich who go on a, a pleasure cruise and the people who serve them. Uh, and, you know, that sort of upstairs-downstairs kind of dynamic that we've had since Upstairs-Downstairs was first written. Um and, and, it's, and it's, about, it's about the class system, and it's also about manipulation. And uh, uh, one of the funny things is it starts with a scene where uh, it's a, a male model. Um, one of the reveals about this, the industry is the male model is dating this female model. And in the industry of, of fashion uh, modeling... Uh females get paid way more than males do, right? Because uh, obviously there's more cachet in being a female model. But uh and there's an argument at the beginning of the movie about uh paying for paying for dinner and um you know that the the young couple are arguing about who should pick up the bill, and and, and he's like the the male is saying it's that's not um, the point isn't about who's not paying the bill. The point it's that's the point is about the difference between you know male and the the male and female dynamic, and how he feels that they should feel they should be like equals, and, and because they're friends and stuff like that. Anyway, so so one of the comments I heard he the um after I watched the movie, I went on to uh, a Letterbox, and the director was reading the good reviews and the bad reviews and one of the one of the ba- one of the 2 star reviews said this would all this all could have been avoided if they just split the check <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah it's 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 definitely it's definitely worth watching it's it's interesting it won the palm d'Or and Cannes last year so uh it, oh it's a bit like white lotus too that's the other that's the other uh, parallel too so but um, but i mean um the advice I got before I saw it, I, somebody told me to see it um, like a month or two ago, and they said, I can't tell you anything about it, just watch it. And that's, that's my advice to you, just, just watch it. Just go, don't go in with any expectations at all, and just sit back, put your head back, here comes the drill. And where is it on? And it's on Amazon Prime right now, in Canada anyway. Um, the other one, I think these two came up today, uh, and this is a red band trailer. So if you're, if you're not 18, don't watch this trailer, but it's called dumb money. Um, and I'm trying to remember what it's about. Uh, it's about the, uh, GameStop stock. Oh, right. Remember, yeah. Remember how that blew up? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, um, starts Paul Dano as the, as the YouTube advisor who everybody kind of follows and yeah, just, it looks like a fun romp. Um, And everybody can't believe, uh, I can't say what they're saying because of this, we we have sort of a G rating on this show, but um, yeah, they, they, uh, everybody uses the same expression when they see that the price of the stock as it goes up and down again, I guess, on the other side. Um, And speaking of uh, empires growing and whatever, I don't know if this is a tongue firmly planted in cheek, but uh, Zach Galifianakis and, um, oh, I've lost her name now. Uh, star in Beanie Baby, which is about the whole um Beanie Baby, Beanie Baby uh, sorry, Beanie Bubble is the name of the movie, but it's about the Beanie Baby um empire where the the toy just took off and, and uh Yeah people were speculating like they were stocks. Yeah, so the uh, yeah and it's about how the, the two founders kind of um you know they kind of they're together at the beginning and they kind of split up and yeah it looks it looks like a funny, funny sort of movie. So and I don't know if we talked about this, but during the break, I watched Air. Have you guys seen Air? Yeah, I watched it during our oh, break, no. too, yeah. I it's a fantastic movie, like, um, very sort of, a bit like um, Halt and Catch Fire kind of retelling of the um, the introduction of the Michael Jordan, um, Air Jordans, I guess they're called, right? Uh, yeah, so quite a good movie. So if you haven't seen that one, uh, directed by Ben Affleck, which is, again, another another great effort by him. Um, and yeah.
0: it was really interesting. I I thought it was very neat how they basically told a story about Michael Jordan
2: that did not include Michael Jordan. Yes, hundred percent. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm saving that one. Uh, is the the uh, the sin of another? She's not going to be interested in that, so I got to watch that in my own time. And I might pair it with um maybe this is like a shadow pick here. August sixth is when season two of Winning Time resumes. Oh, I love on, on Winning Max. Time. So that one about the uh, the '80s Lakers uh, feels like it's like about the right thing to to have a, an evening of watching the first episode of that and also watching Air. Yeah, if I, don't, it, I, don't think, I don't
0: think you and I have talked about that one. I I love that series. That was so much fun. Hmm. I haven't watched that one yet. Yeah, crave here in Canada. Yeah, uh, on my watch list. I just uh, one quick thing. I noticed uh, we're starting to get close to the end of the month, so they're starting to announce what's coming soon onto. Streaming platforms, I noticed one that caught my eye. Jaime, you mentioned this last week as as one of your picks. Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves is coming to Netflix in Canada on July 2nd, so only have to wait another 10 or 11 days before we get a chance to uh, watch that one on the free. Our subsidized
3: social. subsidized Dungeons & Dragons? It's on on Netflix, it says. Uh, What did I say? You uh, you said free. Well, it's on Netflix. I mean, really. Who isn't getting their Netflix for free now? Tommy, what do you got for us today?
2: I have uh, Mayor of Kingstown, so I just got around to finishing the second season. This is on Paramount Plus in the United States and apparently Canada, according to JustWatch.com. So this is about... Uh, this stars Jeremy Renner, uh, you know, Hawkeye, you know that guy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and yeah. he is a... This is pre-snowblower accident, right? Yeah, which... I guess it's not too spoilerific because this is that kind of show of like, I'm pretty sure they will do a third season. I don't know if they're going to do a, um, you know, Jeremy Renner's character gets attacked by the Wampa kind of thing to get around like <laughs> what happened to him, you know, like just like Mark Hamill and Empire Strikes Back. Um, but ignoring that, if folks don't know, this is about a uh, a prison town where the town really doesn't have anything besides the, the penitentiaries there, so you're either a prisoner, or you're a guard, or somebody who works for the, the prison system. You're a cop, or you're somebody who's related to those folks. And there's a lot of gang activity, and Jeremy Renner's character, Mike McCluskey, he's somebody who has to uh, sort of keep the peace, is sort of the way. So he's not really like... A good person, like it's really clear that like he is involved in criminal conspiracies, if you look at it that way, um so from like a tony soprano sort of like or or walter white you're you're essentially rooting for the bad guy, but he's trying to keep things peaceful while being a mediator and broker amongst all of these varying factions that you know are doing terrible people things so if that sounds interesting at all, you know it, go find trailers, I'm sure they're available on like YouTube and stuff, but uh, this is one that I can recommend and uh I, I like the uh the analogies to like my own sort of uh professional life of like it sometimes feels like I can really empathize with him. And not that I work with criminals just to be really clear. <laughs> Don't but just like, oh my gosh, I am just like trying to corral all these cats and get them to go in the same direction. Yeah. So it's nothing to do with
3: the renovations that's on Disney Plus or or the Jeremy Renner Diane
2: Sawyer interview? It does not have anything to do with it, and is not to be confused <laughs> with Mayor of Easttown, which uh, is a completely well. Oh, that was, show. Show. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was a great show. Yeah, that was a good one show. too. Yeah, but it, it's it's a little weird that you have two shows around the same time that sound vaguely similar. If you don't actually know the real name, yeah, would have been funnier if it was Mayor of Queenstown. Yeah, I
3: was going to say, isn't there isn't there an old eighties <laughs> movie? Yeah, something. Yeah, I like
0: I like Renner. I've you know outside of obviously he's, he's definitely well known for his uh, appearances as Hawkeye in the MCU. I mean Hurt Locker is was was such a tremendous performance for him. But um, I really enjoyed. I've enjoyed him in some of the sort of dramatic roles
3: over the years that I've seen him in. So yeah, this might be worth uh, a watch at some point soon. Speaking of classics, did you guys watch Ron's Gone Wrong? No, no, not, no. Right up there with Paw Patrol. Yeah, it looked funny.
2: Oh, yeah. oh, 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 yes.
3: That's it's the kid from Shazam. Yeah. The kid from Shazam does voices the, the character. It pretty funny. Sort of like a Tamagotchi gone wild kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. actually, do now that you've described it the way I have seen that, it's uh, probably like a DreamWorks film or yeah, Illumination. The Disney Plus, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, it's, you
2: said it's on Disney Plus? It's a Disney film? Oh. Uh,. You don't know
3: who it is by. Let me see if I can get it without without starting it. No, oh, no, it's starting. Yeah. What do you, mm-hmm. do you have to? You have to long press on Disney to get the details, right? i
2: oh, um,
0: playing on Disney. The, if you do the single, click, it brings you in. Then there's like information if you go down to the one
3: side, right? Yeah, but I'm in. I'm in the app on the. phone. Oh, on um, the phone. Yeah, I don't really use that very much. Yeah. Wait. Where did it go? I've lost it. I got to finish Rebels too. Here you do. Almost done.
2: I'm getting there in that one. I'm, that's, I did that during our, our
0: time off. I watched the entire run for the for the probably fourth time. Uh, and man, there's so many good episodes. It's incredible. It's just, it's such an incredible series. I will put that up against anything else Star Wars.
3: I still have to watch the last season too, the one that just came out a couple of years ago, right? Oh, man. Did... Or Clone Wars, I guess it is. Clone Wars.
0: Oh, Clo- yeah, Clone Wars did a. That was the. They finished that one. But I have off to finish
3: on... Rebels and then go back to the Clone Wars, right? The well, I mean, you can watch it in any order you want, but the
0: last season of um, of Clone Wars is quite good. That's where we get our first meeting of the Bad Batch, and then the final. I think it's three or four episodes, basically happen concurrently with Revenge of the Sith, and it is fantastic. And really ties into, like, the Mandalorian and all the stuff that's happening right now, too. Yeah, I uh, my favorite Star Wars thing, I think.
3: Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, where do they find you? You could find me on Twitter and Instagram as at News or on YouTube at youtube.com slash
2: at jpk. And Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where do they find you? I'm on Twitter as at dev of the hair.
3: All right. My name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine, the Mastodon machine. Still waiting for that blue sky invite. Come on. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Or on another timeline with a different host. <laughs> <laughs> Played by an actor to be named later. Yeah, or one that was on before. You never know. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye.
1: You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag spotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash You can find details on how to help us on our website, spockcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future.
2: Similar uh, previews of the next week's episode of Star
3: Trek. It's on YouTube,
0: right? Yeah, it's on YouTube. We can watch it here. Okay.
2: Have you guys seen the preview for the next episode of um, Strange New Worlds? Nope. Is it a spoiler for you, if I tell you all? No, no. It's like a little trailer. So the little snippet scene we're shown is uh, in one of the hallways of the USS Enterprise. And La'an sees some random dude who's injured collapse in the hallway she's like who the heck are you and she's like wait you weren't shot with like a phaser you were shot with a gun and he says so stuff is happening in the past you have to help solve it and then he sort of like disappears uh, and and like the Marty mcfly sort of like things have changed wave happens and she goes to the bridge and she's like i need to go tell the captain and the captain is kirk who we've seen before and he says uh who the heck are you so oh, yeah. we've got some sort of timey-wimey thing clearly going on in next week's episode.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, two for two. Two good episodes
2: back-to-back so far to start the season. It's pretty, pretty good.
0: Pretty good. Can't complain. hmm mm-hmm.
2: And I looked at my list here because I'm keeping track of where I'm at with Rebels. So I'm in season two. Uh, next episode is episode 19. So I'm nearly done with season two. Oh, hold um, on to your socks, kid. So I'm, like, nearing uh, the midway point where I can... Because it's a weird series. It's, like, first season is 15 episodes, Mm -hmm. 22 for the second, 22 for the third, and 16 for the fourth. So um, it's a little less daunting as I watch a few episodes. uh, uh, I try to do a few episodes every few days so I get, you know, a big chunk of the way week by week in anticipation of this being important for the Ahsoka series in, in August. Yeah. The uh I, I hope it is
0: not spoiling to say that the end of the two part finale for season two is a freaking banger. It might be my favorite thing in Star Wars, but that two part finale is oh, wow. <laughs> like I just watched it again, probably I've watched that easily four or five times, so it's that two-parter, it
2: is it is mind blowingly good. You know, this is a weird show for me, and it feels like um, it has a lot of similarities with Star Trek Prodigy, where superficially I'm like, oh yeah, here's like the kids show construct, right? But then I'm like, but underneath the surface, it's really dark. Like Zeb, like they just kind of casually talk over the fact that like his people were genocided. I'm like, oh, there you go. Kids enjoy that <laughs> when you buy the toys <laughs> of the Phantom and the, uh, um, Oh crap! I should know this. Is it the goat? or no, the ghost and the phantom. What are the name of the two ships? Uh,
0: it's the yes, Spectre? it's the phantom and the and the ghost because they're no, they're specters. Specters is their code names. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not only that, but then you throw in. So his entire race was genocided. Ezra's parents like had a you know the the whole storyline there with them like you know what happened to them and then. They talk about, you know, the the dark beginnings of the Kanan character. They talk about like um they'll get more into the backstory for um Sabine, where where she comes from is really, really dark too. Like it just keeps doubling down as the series goes on, as they get closer and closer to the to the sort of, you know, uh end of Rebels, which is sort of, you know, closer to, to Star Wars Episode 4. It just keeps getting like bleaker and darker as you're going you're like this is a kid's show honestly when i when it first came out uh it was it came out when there was no disney plus it was uh it was on i think disney family or something like that and Mm -hmm. so i watched a few of the episodes and and the first few episodes did not grab me and so i didn't really watch much of season one and one of my friends is also a big star wars buff said to me sort of as you know we're getting close to the end of season one like do yourself a favor go back and watch it It's really starting to pull together. And yeah, season one's a little more inconsistent. But by the time you get to two and two really tightens up, three is rock solid and four is rock solid. And I was just like, wow, this I thought this was a kid's show. I thought it was like even more so than Clone Wars. I thought this was supposed to be like, oh, they're younger and they're fun and they're out having space adventures. Oh, it gets it goes to some seriously dark places and it tells some really, really emotional character stories. Yeah, I I'm I absolutely love it, and it is season three and four particularly are going to be absolutely essential watching before Ahsoka comes out in August.
2: Good, good because I've I've enjoyed the first two seasons so far. So if you're saying it only gets better from here, that's a that's a good sign.
0: Yeah, th- there's very little, uh, you know. Again, you're right, Jaime. Mean, like there's. The episode counts go up and down a little bit and you sort of think to yourself, well, 22 episodes, 22 episodes on a Clone Wars season, especially the first five seasons, there's easily seven or eight episodes you can kind of throw over the side of the boat that are they're fine, but they're, you know, they are just there, but there are very few sort of filler episodes in the last two seasons of, of Rebels, like very few where you're not like something important's happening here. And again, it's all out of Dave Filoni's brain, and Dave Filoni is the mastermind behind the whole, you know, Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, Thrawn, Arc. So yeah, it's it's much required
2: viewing. Definitely got got charm for it, uh, and and the chopper. Droid sounds. I think you had mentioned <laughs> this. It's like a like a like a chicken or rooster. Yeah, yeah. It's good yeah. sound design there. You can really tell the personality and the the more or less what it's saying contextually from from that. So that's cool. Yeah.
0: And again, they've they've clearly there's a lot of love inside the the Star Wars verse for the stuff too. Again, the chopper uh in Rogue One Chopper wheels by at one point uh you do, you do see the the uh the ghost in the the fight over uh the, the what's the Scarif the fight over Scarif you see the ghost fighting in there and they do they call Hera's name over the intercom when they're at uh, the Yavin base at one point so there's definitely uh a, uh a, a love for you know tying this into the greater narrative too it's not just a cartoon it's it's part of the big picture.
3: You know what else I watched was Meet Cute. You guys heard about that one? Cute. Is that, uh, is that the Kelly Cuoco? Yeah, Kelly Cuoco and Pete, and Pete, Pete Davidson. Davidson. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I stumbled across that one and watched it. It's pretty pretty interesting. It's it's kind of a Groundhog Day-ish. Mm. Yeah, she's a time traveler, and she keeps repeating the same date over and over again. Oh, yeah. I think you mentioned this one to me. Yeah, yeah, Did I? Yeah, I think, well,
0: we saw each other just a few days ago, right? I don't remember mentioning it to you, though. Uh, well, in the last, like, week, we've been to a concert and a movie together, so somewhere in there,
3: I think you mentioned it. Mm, okay. We've done some standing around. Yeah. I've been mean, watching Bupkiss. That's pretty good. I might have, might have told you totally about Bupkiss. Mm, I don't know. The Pete Davidson show? Oh, yeah. I think he did. Yeah. Pretty interesting. It's, it's like, sort it's sort of his version of Entourage, I guess. Yeah. Where Edie Falco plays his mother, and and um, Joe Pesci plays his uh, grandfather, I guess. Well, didn't we see the Flash on Monday? Oh no, we saw it on Sunday. Yeah, I was Sunday Monday, night because right? you had Monday off. Right? I had Juneteenth off. Just like an American. I was going to say how very American of Exciting. you. Exciting.
2: The secret is Canadians take both American holidays and Canadian holidays off.
3: Well, no, we 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 changed the holiday because my boss was coming to Toronto, and and he booked it months ago, and he didn't realize that this was going to be national indigenous people's day on wednesday so yeah so we switched mm-hmm. uh, so a bunch of us switched our monday with for wednesday wednesday for monday
2: is national indigenous people's day a specific day like is it always the 21st or yes, is it meant to solstice. coincide with the solstice it is the it solstice? Is is it? It, it is always
0: on the 21st because of the solstice it is part of the traditional celebrations for a lot of indigenous peoples living in canada
3: so is it, like, is it going to be a federal thing at some point or provincial thing? It's, I don't think so. I mean, I,
0: I'd i be curious, given its proximity to Canada Day, which is July 1st for you, Jaime, um, I don't know if they ever will do that. They did make the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September 29th, uh, a yeah. federal holiday. Yeah. It, yeah. But it's not a provincial holiday yet in all the provinces, so... Hmm. Uh, I, I, I get the day off because I'm a federal employee, but, um, but it's not for everybody. Same with remembrance day. We get remembrance day off because it's a federal holiday because they close so that the, all the politicians can be in their jurisdictions and, and observe remembrance day on November 11th, but they don't, um, they don't necessarily do that for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm in favor of more federal and provincial holidays. If They want to keep put, putting them out there. I'm, I'm down. I'm supportive. Yeah. I always wanted them to make uh, the the first prime minister of Canada was a man named Sir John A. MacDonald, who, in retrospect, in in the light of day now, as more stuff comes out about the treatment of uh, indigenous people here in Canada, was a bit of a not so great character in history. But when I was a kid, I found out that his birthday was the same as mine in January. And I was always like, why isn't there a prime minister's day? We should celebrate it on January 11th. Yeah. But, you know. I was a kid and didn't know that that dude was not so great.
2: Yeah, he's not so great. No. Did we lose Jaime? Jaime, are you still there? No, I was thinking about the, uh, you know, we, we've we got that sort of sort of thoughts around, uh, you know, there's many folks not so not so happy about Columbus Day. and, Yo, and yeah. Usually you have, you know, Indigenous uh, Folks Day. So I feel like the, the addendum to uh, never meet your heroes is never make a statue of your heroes, never, <laughs> never make a holiday after your heroes. Yeah. It's just... Just read about them in the history books, talk about them, but maybe, maybe not make a a celebration because you start chipping away at that and, and, and people are people and sometimes people are bad people. Yeah. Well, especially people,
0: it seems unfortunately of the lighter skin, the, um, yeah, I really hope that at no point there's a repeal on like Martin Luther King day or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I think he, his, his warts were sort of out there for everybody to know and are sort of more accepted. But, yeah, again, I don't think they'll be putting up many more statues. As a matter of fact, they're doing pretty active teardown of, of statues of uh, some of Canada's uh, uh, initial leaders, given the uh, spotlight that has turned on the amount of damage they've done to uh, a lot of people here. But then again, you know, uh, isn't the slave owner who didn't want to pay his taxes, isn't that
2: what they <laughs> what they refer to as your first president, am I? Yeah. <laughs> like- like you said, it just gets more bonkers, like the the cartoonified version that we got in elementary school back in, in the 80s is a lot different than what you'll see now in the, like, 10-part expose on the TLC, you know, uh, the the Learning Channel or History Channel or, like, somebody who's really good at this stuff as a historian on YouTube, so I don't know. Uh it, it's better to know these things I think, um, rather than uh sort of papering over it as we would have done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was telling uh just
0: we'll sign off on this one, Jaime, and we do not need to include this in the podcast, was telling Tim that the NBA draft is tonight, which you may or may not be aware of and uh following along with the uh Raptors had the thirteenth pick and they drafted a young man from America whose last name is Dick D. I C K. The social media is having a field day tonight with the idea of the Raptors. Uh, What a stroke of genius to draft Dick.
2: (laughs) Is this going to be one of those things where people are going to go on the NBA site, try to make the custom jersey and then get denied because it's profanity? Like you have to wait for the official jersey to come out before you can actually get your hands on one?
0: I saw people uh, posting already saying, I have already tried to order my, my Dick jersey. So it is kind of a know. dick move, right? It is a dick move, <laughs> or is it a stroke of genius? <laughs> yep. Well, you know, it, it's cheaper to get that on the back of a jersey than Wenbanyama. the The young man that was drafted first overall uh from France is a young man named Victor Wembanyama.
3: Do you pay like for the letter? By you the letter? Do. you pay by the letter. Oh, hmm.
0: and in that case, you're splurging. That's ten.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a nickname option there. If I ever heard one, like find a shorter nickname <laughs> you Wimby. can make the jersey with fewer letters.
0: Yeah, w- Wimby. You're in there. Mm. You're done. Wimby. Yeah, this guy is. I don't know if you've seen any of the highlights, but this guy looks incredible. I can't wait to see this guy play NBA basketball. He's seven foot four, seven foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds, and his wingspan is almost nine feet from mm. tip fingertip to fingertip. It's yeah crazy. Crazy. nine feet that's crazy yeah. lopsided uh, well from from when he puts his arms out to the side his wingspan from fingertip to from the tip of his biggest finger to his hip of his biggest finger is i think they said almost nine feet
3: but i thought like when you open your arms up you're as long as you are
0: tall usually right or more so if you're somebody who's of his proportions because apparently he's yeah seven foot four but his arms are even longer when extended. They're freakishly long. They said he can simultaneously defend the basket and the three-point line. And mm. there's actually highlights of him doing that. It is the craziest thing
2: I've ever seen on a basketball court. Oh, so the you know from the the court up to the hoop is ten feet. So if he did one of those like. I don't know what this is called in yoga. It's like a side plank, but your arm is fully extended and holding you up. <laughs> like, he's only about a foot shy of being able to dunk the thing. Yeah. They they said to for him to
0: slam, it's a bunny hop. Like, really? he just has to do a little dunk, and yeah. he's, he's got a
3: slam dunk. I guess they have to start raising the net, right?
0: There was a play. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can dig out the, the uh, clip and, and send it to you guys. There was a play uh, in the French League this year where... He tried a three-pointer, which is... And it wasn't a corner three-pointer, so it was all the way out. So it was almost 30 feet from the basket. He shot the three-pointer, it went up in the air, and it bounced off of the rim. And in the time it took for it to make that bounce, he closed the distance, and he slammed the ball.
2: That's that's pretty incredible. Like If, if he had a fadeaway jumper, just given with that wingspan, how far back he can be from a defender in his face... And if he, he could does. land those, he'd be literally impossible to stop.
0: He does. That. I was reading that. an article about him the, the other day, and apparently he studied uh, Pete Maravich's dribbling technique. So he dribbles really low, and then he arcs backwards with his jumper. Like, it's indefensible. There's, you couldn't get your hands high enough to defend. If he can shoot ha- up high like Nikola Jokic, you could never defend him. It's incredible. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this guy's going to be something. Again, he's he's... A little slight. He's gonna get pushed around a little bit by some of the bigger, stronger players in the league for the first few years, but he just looks like he's gonna be a super fun player to watch. It's seven foot five point god. See if I can find this. Uh here we go. Three-point dunk. I'll find it here. There, I'm gonna put this, I'm gonna paste this into our Slack channel here. You can see this. This isn't some nuts stuff. Yep. He's the one on the outside there. Takes the three-pointer, runs in, and jams it home. You both have to be really fast really tall and really athletic to pull that off. Off his own three-point miss. I've seen people obviously put a put-back off their own miss, but a three-point miss? That is insane!
3: He has ties with this guy.
0: Yeah. Last time he apparently was officially measured, he was 7'4", people think he might have grown still because he's only 19. Yeah. Again, my biggest fear is that someone's gonna, like, accidentally roll into one of his knees and that'll be the end yeah, of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He's pretty slight. And at some point, he's going to play somebody like Zion Williamson, who's like 340 pounds of muscle
3: and is just going to cream him. There's hmm. another clip here to 10 times Victor, what's his name, has shocked the NBA world. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, the highlights are,
0: are something else his ability to block the basketball. That, there's like two other guys, Dikembe Motombo and uh, oh, God, what was the, the African player? Who played for the for the uh, bullets? Oh god! Who was like crazy tall? Oh, Manute Bull. He was like seven six with the same kind of arm span. He averaged like five blocks a game as a rookie back in the eighties. Hmm. Yeah, I had so much fun watching basketball this year, even though the Raptors were pretty mediocre. I, I the, just the league has got so much talent in it right now. There's just so many fun stories and players, and just a really really deep league full of athletic, fun players. I, I Definitely the sport I'm enjoying the most right now. Now, if all we could just get a team back in Seattle, it would all be right with the universe again. There we go. <laughs> all right. I think I need to call it, because I have to so, get at the crack of okay. dawn.
3: Okay. All right. Ciao. All right. Talk to you, later. Talk to you next week, guys. Later. Bye. Later, skater.